Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. As we open God's word, let's ask the living God to open our hearts. Pray together. Our Lord and our God, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. We ask even now in this moment, you would be glorified and you would prepare our hearts. Lord God, you have given everything to us. You have done everything for us. Now in this moment, we ask you to prepare our hearts. Prepare us to love you, to love your words. Prepare our minds to learn from all the words that you have written to us. Let your living word be a counselor to us that we may be guided by it. Let your healing word be a physician to us that we may be restored by it. Let your word be a law of love to us that we might obey it in the love and liberty that is ours in Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Let's read together about what the church is in Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. I want to go from the, I want to go this morning from the biggest picture to the littlest picture. One little stitch, one little stitch of thread to the whole quilt or the whole tapestry, the whole thing all together. From the biggest picture to the littlest picture. From the biggest picture that the church is not the group of people who happen to be at 12505 Spring Street at any given point in time. The church, it, it includes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It includes all of the believers from all over the world from all time. The biggest picture is all the saints from all times. And the littlest picture the smallest little stitch of thread is your membership and giving and serving at this particular local church. The biggest picture of why we do what we do is the glory of God. And the littlest picture, which we also want to cover today, is what you're called to do for the glory of God, which can be as specific as when this service ends and you enter the ministry fair, there might be a, a clipboard where you can put your name down or a QR code where you can put on your phone and then, and then register to, to volunteer in this or that or the other ministry. The fullness of God's plan from all ages to what it is that you should do when you arrive here next Sunday at 9 a.m. from the biggest picture to the littlest detail. Ephesians 1 verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so this morning we want to talk about, or I want to talk about the church and the outline is pretty simple. It's for everybody's, for everybody's. And the first one is that in the church, everybody believes. In the church, the true and living church of Jesus Christ, everybody believes. What we believe <clears throat> is the gospel. We finished our reading right there from 15 to 23. The very next paragraph, one of the most powerful paragraphs in the New Testament, is a marvelous treatment of the gospel. Listen, church, with hearts filled with gratitude to this gospel. Ephesians 2.1. You. The Holy Spirit says, you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God but God being rich, but God being rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The smallest picture is that there are particular good works for you to do with your talents, with your abilities, with your skills. And we want to open those up for you in this ministry fair today. The biggest picture, verse 7 says, the biggest picture, if you say, what's the purpose of the church? Verse 7 says, the purpose of the church is so that God has a place to showcase the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. That's what the church does. The church showcases what kind of gracious God we have and serve the first truth of these four everybodies is that everybody believes. Everybody, believe, everybody in the church believes the gospel. The church, Ephesians 1 says, is chosen by God. And the church, Ephesians 1 and 2 say, is purchased by the Son of God. And the church, Ephesians 3 and 4 says, is now filled and empowered by the Spirit of God, chosen by God to receive the gospel, purchased by the blood of the Son of God in the execution of that gospel in his life and resurrection, and now quickened by the Spirit of God and anointed and filled with the Spirit of God to demonstrate the reality of that gospel. Everybody in the church was chosen by the Father, purchased by the Son, and is now filled with the Spirit. The church is the gathering of those who believe the gospel. The reason this is point number one is because I'm, I'm, 
I am phobic that in trying to motivate you to give and serve, which I frankly want to do, I'm phobic that I'll just tell you to do more and do more and do more and leave you hollow and empty. And I don't want to do that. And I certainly don't want to push someone who's not right with God through Jesus Christ, our Savior, as if I wanted their money or I wanted their help with our four-year-olds. What I want for them is their conversion, their salvation, their membership in the forever family of Jesus Christ. So first comes first the gospel. Well, you should give and you should serve, but the only reason that you should give and serve is if you have the reality that you have been given new life by Jesus and Jesus Christ came not to serve himself, but to serve you by washing you and renewing you in his blood. The reality is the gospel comes first. The gospel is what makes the church the church. If you're here this morning and you don't know the gospel, we want to share it with you. It's right here in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. If you're here this morning and you don't believe the gospel, it's not our intent to motivate you to give more money or do this or that or the other thing. We simply want to tell you, receive, come and receive all that you've needed without money and without price in the, in the saviorship and the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Simply for everybody is about the church and the first one is the most important one everybody believes. Everybody believes the gospel. Second, everybody belongs. Everybody belongs. All the believers are believers in Christ. And once you are a believer in Christ, you are in Christ. And once you are in Christ, everyone else who is in Christ belongs to you and you belong to them. I hope you can see, well, you can't see it because it's spiritual and mystical and invisible, but I hope you can apprehend that. Belonging, belonging with the church. This may, maybe this is going to sound a little weird. Belonging to the church is not about feelings of affection you have for the other people in the row alongside of you right now. That's what belonging to a, a, a team or a, a social class or whatever, that's not how we belong to the church. How we belong to the church is that now we are in Christ. And once I'm in Christ, I, everyone else who is in Christ belongs to me and I belong to them because we're the same body. It really doesn't have to do with mere earthly affections or earthly affinities. That's why the apostle says in Ephesians 2, he picks, the, he picks the strongest, most controversial, we would say racial or social or economic barrier. And he says, Jesus tore down that wall of separation and the two are now one in Jesus Christ. Everybody belongs. Everybody belongs to Jesus and therefore everybody belongs to each other. And this is why, this is why Everybody should be here. Your attendance at worship is your, is your participation in the body to which you are a part. Everybody should be here. And we should share fellowship, attendance in corporate worship, and in an ABF. Not just one, but both. Everybody belongs in our context. Also includes church membership. 
I teach our church membership material maybe three times a year. I, we, there's a sign-up right now for the next upcoming membership class. It's in a couple of Saturdays. I just take a, a few hours on a Saturday morning and I talk through the doctrine, the distinctives, and the direction of Racine Bible Church, answer any questions you have, and then to become a member, you simply have to go through that, that short course that just takes one Saturday morning, and then you have a, a, a membership interview with one of, our, one of our elders and you give a credible testimony of faith in Jesus Christ because everybody in the church believes the gospel. And so you just give a credible testimony of faith in Jesus Christ and then you join the church by demonstrating and declaring that you wanna walk according to our church covenant. And we love our church covenant. Everybody believes. Second, everybody belongs. Everybody believes, everybody belongs. Third, Everybody gives. Everybody gives. And from here, I'd ask you to turn from Ephesians to 1 Corinthians 16. Tonight, at our members meeting, we're going to approve, Lord willing, the membership will approve the church budget for 2023, fiscal year 2023, 2024. I think, I think it's like 1.6 million is our budget, somewhere around there. Um, where does this money come from? Where does this money go? And is this money like a dirty, shameful thing that we don't talk about? Or is this a part of our gospel ministry that we address from the Spirit of God, from the Word of God? I want to talk about that. As, as you look at 1 Corinthians 16, which is going to be about money in the church, I would just ask you to, to let your eye lift up to the last paragraph of chapter 15. This is one of the, mo this is one of the coolest things about the Bible. In, first, in the end of 1 Corinthians 15, he's like, this perishable body must put on imperishable and death will be swallowed up in victory and we'll all give thanks to God for the victory of Jesus Christ. This is, this is one of the most spectacularly poetic and triumphant uh, statements of the cosmic victory of Jesus Christ over the devil and death and the grave in the gospel. And then... He talks about the church budget in the next verse. <laughs> he says in chapter 16, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also, so you also are to do. Maybe because he's talking about money, he says, uh, I'm not just pointing you out because I want your money. I'm not just pointing you out because you're rich and I think I can get a lot from you. He's like, I, did, I said this in Galatia. He could have said, I said this in Thessalonica. I said this in Rome. And I'm saying this to you. This is, this is a normal part of Christian life and ministry and pastoral leadership. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are you to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I'll send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So he talks about collecting money in a systematic, regular way 
being careful with those funds and then distributing them appropriately. And I can tell you, I trust with integrity that the, the work that our deacons and our elders have done in putting together the budget demonstrates a, a measure of wisdom and uh, a sort of a, a conservative nature to, 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 to be careful with the stewardship of what God has given us to, to lead in. And so what this says, the third point is that everybody gives. And that's the point of the text when he says, if you see it right there in verse two, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside. Everybody gives. Each of you is to put something aside. Notice he doesn't say the gainfully employed among you, the, uh, those in the higher tax bracket among you, the men, the adults. He says everybody, everybody is to give. Everybody gives. Another principle we could say is that it's supposed to be regular because it says in verse two, on the first day of the week, put it aside. This frees the church up from having to just do some sort of special emotional appeal when things are really hard to make you dig in your pocket. And he's like, this is a normal part of Christian discipleship that week in and week out from whatever comes in, the, fruit, the fruits that come in, you set aside the first fruits to the Lord. A regular part. So giving is, is for everybody and giving is regular. It's for every week. And the third thing we could say here is this principle, this economic principle of a percentage or a proportion. And we get that because he says there, what is it in uh, verse two, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. That just means it, you look at what you have, what God has prospered you with, and you, you take a portion of that and you give it. Everybody gives according to what they have. So the truth is, the third truth is everybody gives. And the reality is everybody gives, but not everybody gives the same thing. We each give out of what we have. And since we're at different starting points, you give out of what you have and she gives out of what she has. We don't all have the same amount to give. This is where a percentage comes in and without getting off track, because I actually want to dismiss you a little early today to go to the ministry fair. Uh, um, this issue of a percentage and a tithe, the, somewhere along the way, we got a 10% tithe from the Old Testament. I actually don't think that's completely accurate. If you really look at Exodus and Leviticus, it was more like 38% or 48%. But anyways, uh, the, the, uh, I, I, I do not believe that we're under the law of God to give 10%, like that number, 10% of our income. I do believe, really out of this text and others like it, that we are under the good and liberating law of God to give regularly and to give proportionally from our income. Personal experience, Amy and I, because of the people that mentored us back in 1991 when we got married, we picked that 10%. That's what they recommended and we liked them and they seemed like reasonable people. So we're like, that's a good idea. So we went with that. And we've, we never regretted that. You know, that, that, that's, that's a good, that was a good starting point for us. It doesn't have to be 10%, but it's just really helpful to, to, take that, to take that regularity of every week and to add it to proportionality of a percentage of your income to systematically give to the Lord. Giving to the church is, well, it's, 
necessary, of course, to fund the budget and to fund the making and training of disciples who make and train disciples. But giving to the church is also, is also wonderful because doesn't it say in, in 2 Corinthians 5 that if you are one for whom Christ died, uh, he seems to say that your selfishness died when Christ died for you. And those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Selfishness shrinks your personality. Selfishness, in some cases, if I could say this without being weird, selfishness actually hinders your physical attractiveness. Just makes you pinched and inward. Selfishness harms, more, much more importantly than the physicality, selfishness harms the spirit because it leads you away. The, the perfect man is Jesus Christ and he was the most selfless human to ever live. So anything that leads away from that leads us away from the perfection of what God's designed us for. And so giving is wonderful because it liberates you from that selfishness and uh, service in the church will, will do that as well. The positive side of giving is that Jesus saves us in the gospel and now with the love that he has given us in the gospel, then we give. So let's not forget that this third point about everybody gives is everybody believes. That's the first point. And once you believe the gospel and you belong to the church, then it is it is supposed to be the case, like it is in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, that when somebody in the church has a need, because I know I belong to them, it's, it's, uh, it's supernaturally natural for me to share my resources with them. That's what's happening in Acts 2 and 4. It becomes supernaturally natural to share my resources with them because we believe in Christ and we belong to Christ together, so we share our resources with one another. So everybody believes, everybody belongs, everybody gives, <clears throat> and then fourth, everybody serves. Everybody serves. <clears throat> We're in 1 Corinthians. Maybe go back a couple of pages to 1 Corinthians 12. Everybody serves. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are varieties of gifts. 12.4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit, verse 7, for the common good. So you see, each one has a gift, and the purpose of the gift is for the common good of the whole body of Christ. If I could ask you to turn to one more place from 1 Corinthians, turn to the right and go past Galatians, <clears throat> Ephesians, even past Hebrews to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. And watch how parallel this is. <clears throat> It would be something for Paul <clears throat> to parallel Paul, but here Peter, different author, totally different author, totally different context. And we see the importance of everybody serving and everybody having a gift. First Peter four, verse seven. 
First Peter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everybody serves. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4 both indicate that everybody has a gift and everybody should use that gift in serving the body of Christ and glorifying God. Each one of us is to use our gift and talent to serve the rest of us. The church is the community of people who believe the gospel. The church is the body of people who are in Christ and because they're all in Christ, they belong to one another. Another way of twisting that diamond again is saying, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4, the church is the community of supernaturally gifted believers who demonstrate the supernatural reality of God by operating in their spheres of spiritual giftedness one with another. What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4, is the God-given ability to build up other members of the body of Christ and thus to strengthen the church for the glory of Christ. It's a God-given ability to serve in the church, to build up other members of the body of Christ for the glory of Christ. It's a God-given ability for service. Your, your spiritual gift is your personal ability for a corporate purpose. Your personal ability for a corporate purpose. It's how God meets the needs of other believers through you. That's a good definition. It's how God meets the needs of other believers through you. The emphasis is that God meets their needs through you. It's a given by God and you serve according to the strength that God supplies. Just as everybody gives, so everybody serves. And just as everybody starts from a different uh, economic place and they just give according to the percentage of according as they may prosper, each one has a different gift. So our service isn't the same because our service varies according to our gifts and talents, but our service is the same because we all serve. Our giving is the same because we all give, but it isn't the same because we give different amounts. Every believer believes, every believer belongs, every believer gives, and every be believer serves. And what God has called you to, God has equipped you for. God's not gonna call you to something that he hasn't equipped you for, or if I could be really technical about it, every now and then, God calls you to something and then you step out in faith and he equips you along the way. <laughs> but it's still true that he's not gonna call you to anything that he hasn't or he isn't equipping you for. And he equips you with your gifts and talents. I've never, your, your experience may vary. 
I have never felt it super important to like lay out in a diagram the exact 11 gifts that are listed in 1 Peter and the exact 13 gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians and then like, like, like figure everything out exactly because I think every gift is like the artist's palette. It's not gonna do that much good to like segment them one from another because like you may have a gift of giving and a gift of administration. Or you may have a gift of administration and a gift of teaching. And the way that blends together is so unique to you. The important thing is that your gift is given to you, but it isn't given for you. Your gift is given to you for the common good of the body of Christ. That's why you've got to serve. You've got to serve. Your spiritual gift is how God meets the needs of other believers through you. What's the purpose of serving in the church? Verse 10 of 1 Peter 4, each one received a gift, used it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace in order that, end of verse 11, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. From the littlest picture to the biggest picture. From the littlest picture of what God may be calling you to do every third week in the second service in volunteering with our eight-year-olds from the littlest to the biggest picture that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Here we are again at the number one point of the universe, the glory of God, the glory of God, and specifically the glory of God in the church. I don't know how I would answer the question, why did God create the world? I would probably just copy my answer off of Jonathan Edwards if he was at the desk next to me. Because when they asked Jonathan Edwards, perhaps the finest mind America's ever produced, they asked Jonathan Edwards, what is the purpose for which God created the world? Jonathan Edwards answered that question. God created the world in order that he might obtain a beautiful spouse for his son. God created the world in order that he might create or obtain a beautiful spouse. That's us for his son. In order that in all things, God may be glorified through the church. Of course, God created the world to showcase his grace, to showcase his love. And he shows that in the church. This is why I, there's just, there, there are just a million examples of this. This is why if in the little picture of things, you go there and we convince you to help the seven-year-olds cut construction paper and not eat so much glue, but rather apply that glue to the paper, if that ends up what you end up be do, doing, that's what you're doing, but you're actually showing the family members of all of those seven-year-olds what kind of grace God has poured into your life. You're glorifying God. Those who visit the shut-ins, those who prepare meals, oh, a shout out to the casserole brigade, those who do these things, this is, this is not merely natural human behavior. This is a supernatural demonstration of the glory of God in the gospel. 
from the littlest picture of what you do to the biggest picture of why you do it, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. We, Lord willing, will succeed in releasing you a little bit early so you have more time between the services to wander through the, the ministry fair and then also to fellowship. But a couple of pastoral comments and then we'll finish. A couple of just personal pastoral comments, not about the, the church, capital C, but to this church. First, I want to talk to the people who have uh, been here forever and who are already faithfully serving. I want to talk to the, the seniors, the senior saints. And really all I want to say is um, don't quit serving just because you're old. The best place to be old is in the church. We love you. We need you. Don't quit serving. When you, when you have weathered the storms and you don't freak out like the rest of the young people, but you have like this ballast in your boat now because Jesus has brought you through so many dangers, toils, and snares. That's the last time you'd want to like peace out and not influence us anymore. We need your influence more than ever. I understand your energy level may not be what it was, and I'm not saying that you should work with the, 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 the especially boisterous five-year-olds for three hours every Sunday. <laughs> Volunteer once a month. We, we can calibrate something that works according to your energy level. If you feel like you're too old and you feel like you don't have enough energy, my pastoral response to you is, there is no better place to be too old and to have low energy than the church. Because we, we fit you in here and we love you here. So just keep coming, keep serving. And maybe a word to the newer people. And sometimes I think, what, we're gonna, we're gonna, what are we gonna have our 100th anniversary in the year 2027? Newer to the church is always relative to like how long the church has been in operation. So I don't know what I mean by newer. Maybe if, if you haven't been here for 20 years yet, you're new. I'm not sure exactly how it fits. But if you're newer here or if you're younger and you don't feel that qualified, I would just say there is no better place to be without skill and unqualified than in the church because we equip one another and when we blow it, we come alongside one another and don't even mention how bad we blew it, but we just fill in the, 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 the gaps. This is the place to serve. If you feel that you aren't good enough or you don't have enough talents, that's fine with us. The church is the place to get better at things that you're not good at because this is the place where we understand love and grace anyways. From the smallest practical ways to the, uh, to, 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 to the biggest ways of service. You'll see in there everything from learning how to like 
make those slides and run the projectors to the valet ministry where we park cars for those who have mobility issues, to visitation ministry, the, the so many different opportunities. Um, a little shout out for the uh, crosswalk ministry, which is of all of our ministries, that's, that requires the highest number of volunteers. It would just make sense. Like the reason that we're having the ministry fair in June, when we first started talking about it, we were like, well, September, when everybody comes back and we'll get better participation. But the problem is that the big driver is the crosswalk ministry and uh, September's like too late because everything needs to be going. We got to do the registrations, the background checks, the trainings, the orientation. So, you know, I, I would just especially put in a plea uh, to help out there. And not every position in Crosswalk is a teaching position. They need lots of helping positions too. So that's a, a, a really special place to serve. I guess I would just conclude by saying, from what I know of you, and I mean you, this congregation, from what I know of you, you don't mind hard work. And you don't even mind difficulty. Because I have seen difficulties and hardships in your life make you more beautiful and more mature. I think what you mind is being isolated and useless and purposeless. And the good news is that nobody, nobody here ought to be isolated and useless and without purpose. Because according to the Holy Spirit of God, everybody believes, everybody belongs, everybody gives, and everybody serves together. May God bless his word to his church. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.